My name's David King. I'm a Gundungara traditional custodian. My mum was Auntie Mary King. She was born up here on Gadumba clan in a place that we call the gully, Katoomba, Gargaree. My granddad was Essie Cooper. He was a Baragarang man, a place that we call Warragamba. On behalf of my elders, past and present. Baringaling, past. Marinda, present. I'd like to welcome you on behalf of the traditional custodians. In our language, Yadangni, thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Blue Mountains Tourism Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Swintek. I will guide and navigate you through the Blue Mountains wilds on today's show with a very special guest from the New South Wales Parks and Wildlife Service, Louise Clifton. Louise is the Visitor Experience Team Leader for the Blue Mountains branch. We'll chat with Louise about new walking trails, how to look after our beautiful backyard and a host of other hiking tips. Pam Seaborn pops in from Played Up Blue Mountains and brings with her a special guest, Jessica Fisher who also happens to be an old friend of mine. Jess manages Black, a hot new restaurant in Blackheath, which is part of the Kaya Hotel. Jess works with one of the country's top chefs, Mate Herasek, who has fused flavours and local produce to provide an out-of-this-world culinary experience. But first up on today's podcast, we talk art, specifically the largest art hub in the Blue Mountains, the Blue Mountains Cultural Centre in Katoomba one of Australia's premier regional arts and cultural facilities. We are joined by Katrina Norbergen, the Cultural Development Coordinator, and Paul Brinkman, Manager of Arts and Cultural Services. Welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. Katrina, tell me about your career journey and your role with the Blue Mountains Cultural Centre. I have a background in music. Ooh. I was a performing artist for a very long time. And then I landed myself at Carriageworks when I lived in Sydney um, doing some arts programming. Okay. And then I wanted to sort of move up to the mountains and there was a job coming up at the Blue Mountains Cultural Centre doing public programs. Um, and I got that job, luckily for me. That's um, been an amazing experience. Uh, and then recently, I think during one of the lockdowns, I moved across into the cultural development position um, so I've had, yeah, some great opportunities with council um, programming for, yeah, the local arts and culture. When you say programming, what does that specifically mean? Public programs are more related to, I guess, art education programs, things for schools, um, things for all different parts of our local community and mm-hmm. visitors, artist talks, workshops, festivals, things like that. And now that I'm in cultural development, it's really, um, it's almost like a broader approach and a bit more strategic. Mm-hmm. So it's lo- um, looking at the future of arts and culture um, in our region. And we have quite a very interesting strategy document that sort of is a bit of a blueprint for our region in terms of um, developing arts and culture. I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later. Absolutely. But let's not make Paul feel left out. <laughs> Paul, tell me about your career journey and how you got this role at the Blue Mountains Cultural Centre as the Manager of Arts and Cultural Services. Golly, okay. Uh, well, I started off um, as an artist. What sort of artist were you? 
Um, mainly a sculptor working in aluminium. Oh, wow. But then I couldn't handle eating baked beans uh, <laughs> continually and, and living in total poverty. So uh, I got into art and design teaching. So I became a high school teacher for a little while. Okay. Um, and then I went and worked in Japan for a couple of years before coming back to Australia to Cairns, where I got a job at Cairns Regional Gallery as the education officer. So not dissimilar to Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh did various master's degrees after that and became a director of the Cairns Regional Gallery. And then when the building uh, was uh, planned for Blue Mountains, they called for a director to set up and run the new Blue Mountains Cultural Centre. Um, so I threw my hat in the ring and um, then I moved from 32 degrees every day to 10 degrees every day in the Blue Mountains. I was just about to say, <laughs> talk about diversity in weather. <laughs> That's it. And then, um, yeah, that was 11, 11 years ago now. And But now the last uh, few years I'm now the Manager of Arts and Cultural Services, which also includes managing uh, not only Cultural Centre but also the um, Blue Mountains Theatre, so the Springwood Hub um, and cultural development, um, public art, anything to do with arts and culture that the council is involved in sort of falls within my remit that I look after. Wow. We'll be talking about what's going to happen at the Hub in 2023. Now, the Blue Mountains has been classified a city of the arts. What does that mean and how is that displayed in our community? Um, Well, that was a moniker that was given to the Blue Mountains quite some time ago. Uh, It was a state government program where they uh, were allocating a city of the arts um, every couple of years to a different uh, council across across the Sydney area, and that enabled that particular council to to push their arts and cultural services within that region. We were the first one, the inaugural one, um, which was uh, quite an achievement to have. Mm. That program, the state government program, has since finished, um, but we still hang our hat on being the inaugural City of the Arts because we are quite unique in how many artists live and work and have always lived and worked in the Blue Mountains, both because of our beautiful and inspiring landscape and uh-huh. environment, also our community up here. Um, so a lot of artists that exhibited down in Sydney or performed down in Sydney um, would be able to live and have their studios up in the Blue Mountain. That's why we've got such a great artistic uh, community up here. Well, that re- takes me to my next question, Katrina. Now, the Blue Mountains has attracted and inspired artists for such a long time. Who are some of them? Oh, I mean... There's so many, but we have <laughs> we have some really world class artists living in our region. Looking back, we had a really fantastic exhibition by Sean and Claire. What are their last names, Paul? Sean Cadero and Claire yes. Healy. Yes, and that was I've never seen anything like it. They were bringing entire parts of a plane into the gallery and wow. segmenting it apart and hanging it on the walls. It was really sort of major contemporary stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're ones that I um, usually think about when I think what sort of artists we have up here. Um, We've got Jenny Key up here. Um, We've also got an incredible music community. Mm -hmm. Um, I generally work more with emerging artists in cultural development, though we do have artists that would tour, I'm sort of a little more interested and involved with the, you know, the next crop of artists, I guess. Well, that leads me to my next question. Who is the next generation? Who should we be looking out for? Well, we run a program called Propel Projects, which is about emerging performing artists um, across music, theatre, whatever type of performance art. Um, And we are about to host a major showcase of the In Your Grill program. I love it, In Your Grill. Yeah. (laughs) And we've got Jarrah Patston 
um, who's an artist who works out of Club World in Parramatta. It's a studio for neurodiverse musicians. He's a fantastic songwriter, extremely prolific, and he's about to release his second album and present that as a showcase at The Hub. We've got Katya Patetskaya, who is an experimental performance artist, and she's very much responding to the theatre and trying to make the unseen components of the theatre seen. You know, she's looking at the actual infrastructure of the theatre, the curtains, the lighting, the stage. She may be, um, I don't want to give away too much because she's quite an interesting and mysterious artist. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also got Maisie Coombs, who is... Uh, she experiments with a violin and a lot of loop pedals and then she's got this fantastic community of local creatives that she collaborates with so she'll probably have a few special guests on stage with her. Um, and then finally we've got Yalia who are one um, kind of like a music producer, Alia Sharp, and a physical theatre and choreographer, Emily Yali. So they're doing sort of a combined performance um, see, that's that was the first year of our Propel projects and we had these four amazing performances to showcase out of that. It sure does sound like you yeah. do, that's for sure. <laughs> now, Paul, tell us some of the artists you've worked with in the in the years you've been here. Oh, look, there's, there's a lot of established artists that uh, tuck themselves away in their studios in the Blue Mountains um, and you don't necessarily hear much of them up here, but then all of a sudden they'll pop onto the onto the stage, either nationally or internationally. Um, John Caldwell's a, a great one. He's been living in the mountains for many, many years um, as a painter um, and he's a, he's a, a, a Blackheath artist, of course, Jenny Key, um, as Katrina said. Um, loves the Blue Mountains and brings a lot of Blue Mountains um, iconography into, into her work. She certainly as well. does. Um, and then we've got Locus Jones, who's very well known. Um, he's a painter up here, but he's, he has um, exhibited and performed. He's a performance artist too, um, both nationally and internationally. Um, so yeah, lots of lots of uh, artists up here. And again, in the visual arts area, there's a number of artists that have recently moved up here from Sydney have made people actually think, hey, look, we can move to the Blue Mountains now. We can work from home after mm. their experience through the pandemic. And and uh, so we're finding that a lot of our relatively new members um, of the cultural centre um, and our artistic fraternity um, are changing. We've got a lot of new new up-and-coming artists coming up here. So it's really it's a really exciting time for the Blue Mountains art scene. It sure is. Now, if you're visiting the Blue Mountains and you can't get into the bush for some reason, this is one of my favourite things to see in the Cultural Centre. Tell me about the Permanent World Heritage Exhibition, Into the Blue. To me, it is absolutely incredible. I always tell people to go there. Yeah, well, look, it's footage that was recorded specifically for that display. Um, it is an immersive experience. Um, so you just come to the cultural centre and you can go into that space. Um, it was funded originally 10 years ago when the cultural centre was built. It was fully fitted out with a grant that we received from the federal government. Um, and it really does show you, as you say, all those things that you can see in the Blue Mountains without getting your feet wet or mm. getting rained on or standing in a cloud. So Actually, you see some of them clearer, the 
ant and all the little bugs in the trees and all that. It's just absolutely stunning. Definitely. And you think back 10 years ago, it was early days for drone technology as mm. well. Um, a lot of it is helicopter footage um, and you can fly through all of the escarpments and we have uh, six screens all around the all around the room so you can sit in the middle of the room and be totally immersed in this experience of the Blue Mountains. And then when you look down at your feet, you're standing on a huge map which um, – takes you from the Sydney CBD all the way out to Lithgow and beyond. So you get a really good sense of just how much wilderness surrounds the Blue Mountains and you get a great sense of just this single ribbon road that all of our villages run off um, as yet they head up the road and head out towards Bathurst and then you see all the wilderness either side. So it's quite a spectacular map that you can walk across and we made sure when we, um, it's from a French satellite, we, we made sure that when we uh, finally chose the the print of it that you can, you can find your own house but you can't see yourself sunbathing in your backyard. So a lot of people Phew. will be crawling around on the floor. We've had we've had um, very uh, senior people that have been down on their hands and knees crawling wow. around trying to find their house. So pe- people absolutely love it. It is stunning. I mean, I think every visitor I've ever had at my home, I take them to see that because it's just instantaneous uh, shot of the Blue Mountains, isn't it? It's a great experience. Yeah. Now, Katrina, what's coming up this year, 2023, in your area? Oh, we have quite a lot on the cultural development plate, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, we were successful in getting a West Invest grant to refit the Wentworth Falls School of Arts. There's a lot of um, equipment in there that needs a bit of upgrading. Um, so the hope is that if we can get a new you know, seating bank in there, some new audio and visual equipment, that we can then activate that space um, for more arts and cultural activities. Um, so that's one of our that will be one of our major projects. Mm, that's going to be big. Yeah, and we're we're also working on a new, um, I guess, creative space down at Springwood that's connected to the hub. So we currently manage alongside a volunteer committee, Braemar Gallery, which is a you know, yes. community led visual art space. Um, the other side of Braemar, we are trying to establish a bit of a creative co-working situation geared towards creative industries. So that's another big project for us. Um, so yeah, lots of new spaces that we're moving into and really with the purview of providing more opportunities for, for local artists and also for visitors to the region to experience local artists. That sounds wonderful. Paul, what's coming up? Well, at the moment on our doorstep, I urge everybody to come along on Friday to the Cultural Centre where we're having our annual fundraiser. It's a great opportunity to purchase some artwork from a local artist, original artworks. We've got over 80 artworks on auction. And Friday, 7 o'clock, we ring the final bell. Um, and if you're the highest bidder on an artwork that you love, then you get to take that that artwork home. So that's one of our big highlights of the year. Um, everybody absolutely loves it. It's a great, it's a great night. Um, if you've never bid for artwork before. This is a great opportunity to get started. You just have to register to become a bidder, which you can do on the night. Um, And uh, the top valued five artworks, we then go to a verbal auction. So rather than just putting your bids underneath the artworks that are hanging on the wall, the top five valued artworks will go to our auctioneer and we'll be calling for bids from the floor. And previous years, people have got very 
competitive. Once that exhibition comes down, uh, we will be hanging our our collection exhibition. Um, our collection at the Blue Mountains Cultural Centre, we started only nine years ago, um, but it has grown um, really with some beautiful artworks and we've got a number of new artworks that have just entered the Cultural Centre's collection. So we'll be hanging that and it'll be a great opportunity to see some of the new acquisitions that we've made for, for our collection, which is a Fantastic historical collection for future generations to enjoy. So we're really passionate about building that collection and showcasing it to all of our visitors. Sounds wonderful. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining the Blue Mountains Tourism Podcast today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Showcasing hyperlocal produce plucked straight from the Black Garden and gathered from local producers, the menu has been created under the culinary vision of executive chef Marte Hersek. Black restaurant manager Jessica Fisher chats with Pam Seaborn from Plate Up Blue Mountains. Hello, ladies. Thank you, Ronnie. It's good to see you as well. And Jess and I have a history. We've known each other for 20 years. So I believe. That's wonderful. Since um, Lillianfell's. Yes. Oh, yes. way back. And we've developed a friendship over the years. Lovely. I've always gone to the places that where Jess is because Jess knows good food. Oh, bless. And also is an excellent hostess. She she is an excellent hostess and we're going to be talking about that today. Tell us your background. How did you get into the hospitality industry? Was it something you always wanted to do? How long have you been in it? A long time. A very long time. Mm. I think like most young people, when I was young, it's a very transient sort of profession to fall into. It's kind of, you know, the the go-to for earning extra money when Mm. you want to study. Mm. I found that I genuinely loved what I was doing. I think I started off at the Fork and View restaurant in Cliff Drive in Lura with... um, that was a fantastic yes, restaurant. It was great. And, and the best name ever, the Fork and View. That's right. <laughs> it still stands to this day um, and it's a beautiful location. I was working with amazing people with an enormous amount of experience behind them. Um, and then from then I went to the city uh, after high school and just kind of was working in various restaurants the main one being Uno Uno with um, Marino Maioli and Lucio mm. Galetta. Mm-hmm. I've always been incredibly fortunate working with some, you know, industry greats, learning lots of things and being introduced to amazing people. So you've worked with some really, really top people. You mentioned earlier that you sort of, a lot of people, it's so transient, a lot of people fall into it. But the difference is, of course, you can tell the minute you walk into a restaurant who's the professional and who is making an extra buck. I think you can and I think it in places that you can't see that that where it's not blatantly obvious. Mm. It comes down to I think you and I have spoken about this mm. multiple times about training the, the, the transients in the industry are also very important. Of course. Um, they're essential, actually, to keeping this industry mm. going and growing and retention of those people. I love it when I have a university student because they are going to be with me for the duration of their degree, which, you know, they develop a rapport with their guests, they develop a rapport within the restaurant with their colleagues. Um, So they are very, very important people to have. I've been in the event management business for many years and 
it is post vitality and wait staff and is just vital. Well, you have to have a certain personality yeah. that can deal with people. Exactly. It's all about people, wouldn't you say, Jess? Oh, absolutely. And you have to actually genuinely enjoy being around people, um, meeting people. I guess it's like any profession, really. I mean, you either have a knack for it and you can deal with everybody very easily or you have to study hard and learn from other people how to interact with others. And people learn differently. Yeah. And I guess the key point being is people want to learn. Mm -hmm. 100%. Everything can be taught. I've met many people over the years who know a lot academically, but they don't have that that personality um, skill set. A bit of emotional intelligence too. Mm. And I think it's also, as, as you said, uh, Jess, we've talked about this, wanting to look after people, wanting to make people comfortable, mm. wanting to enjoy the experience. You don't just open your door and people walk in. You greet them at the front door, you're welcoming, you're inviting, you're engaging. And that's what makes you so good at your job, Jess. Exactly. Well, I think at Black we are, again, very fortunate because it's an unexpected space. Mm, It It is is Mm. incredibly stunning through the vision of Carl Salim. Um, It's unexpected and it's something entirely different in the Blue Mountains. Can can a guest expect... Uh, particularly in black, I know you. I would expect this for the for the staff to be able to discuss the menu with me, to match wines for me. I- Absolutely, and that's always an ongoing process. Mate being mate, he likes things to be sourced as hyper local as possible. Absolutely. Anything that we can't produce mm. ourselves, you know, we've got Janai, we've got. Uh, local organic meat suppliers, eggs, chickens, all of those sorts of things. And it does, it's not always the one and the same supplier. From time to time, we always have a staff briefing. Our team knows um, what's going to be on the plate, if something's changed for any at any particular point. Um, and, it, and it is something that increasingly uh, I find that guests are more aware of. They yes. like to know where things are sourced, Absolutely. how they're prepared. Now, do you find that diners are open to new experiences? They they take the um, the advice that is given? Or? Absolutely they do. I mean, sometimes somebody will be introduced to something that they don't like and that's okay. Hmm. As long as they see it like that, yeah. Exactly. And, and that's the main thing. But I think also that diners are more aware these days uh, with all the cooking shows and um you know, they're more aware of what they're eating and where it comes from, which, of course, is what Plate Up Blue Mountains is all about. Now, the current, one of the things I wanted to discuss with you, um, the current move towards using barcodes mm. to see menus and order food from mobile phones really concerns me. I know it's very modern. It's the use of technology, particularly when most restaurants and cafes are short-staffed. However, if we continue with this, where does hospitality come in? Keyword being bar. Mm. I think it can work in a bar. Yes. It can work in an RSL. Mm-hmm. It can work in a canteen sort of situation. Mm-hmm. I loathe it in a restaurant. I recently had an atrocious experience. The floor staff and the kitchen had no control over what was happening to the point where the owner flipped the sign of the restaurant 
to closed because they could not control. The restaurant was full Gosh. because every single person, that was the only way to order efficiently because there weren't enough people on the floor to take the order. It wasn't even order at the counter. It was all the QR code ordering. Uh, and literally they had the entire restaurant order at once. Yep. <gasps> So the kitchen yes. couldn't keep up. <laughs> Whoever was distributing, and I say distributing drinks because or dispensing drinks, mm. and that's all it was. Mm. There was no rapport. There was no atmosphere. And you could see every single employee of that establishment schwitzing. But isn't part of the whole experience of dining out is having a conversation with your wait staff, exactly. the manager of the restaurant? It's it's going out it's not being on your phone collecting a menu. Well, it's part of the what I've as a as a patron. Um, what I've always enjoyed is the minute you sit down, you're having a bit of a discussion with the waiter, and yes, and then so you're building a rapport and you're building a really nice evening mm. or lunch. Mm. And I I do just believe that QR code ordering is incredibly um, clinical. Yes, and churn and burn. Mm. Yes, which does not speak to hospitality. Yeah. Let's get back to black. What is, what is it that you love most about your role? This is a new experience for me, starting something from the ground. Oh, I'm, I've only had one other experience like this, but this is being very much an integral part of it from the ground up um, and really trying to build this amazing Motel, and it, it's a motel. It's a renovate. It's a beautifully renovated motel in Blackheath. Um, the restaurant has always been the key point for me, and just developing something again that is solely unique to the Blue Mountains. It's not. We're not pretending to be something that we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I am happy. I would be more than happy to be a guest and pay the money. There are not seating times per se. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we don't have okay five thirty seating and then at seven thirty seating. I don't. When I dine out, I don't like to be limited. No. If I want to sit there and have six courses, or you know, come in and have a glass of wine and a bowl of chips at yes. the bar. Mm. Yes, that is unique. I think to the to the mountains. That mm. is not a bar or a pub situation. Mm. We are a restaurant. If you would like to come in and just have a drink. You are more than welcome. Mm. Um, And it is something that is on offer seven days a week pretty much for everybody, locals, travellers, FIT guests, our in-house guests. It is something that is kind of more all-encompassing. There is no stock standard black and white rule. Would you recommend your profession to somebody else? Absolutely. What would you give, what advice would you give them? Somebody starting out. It's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. It's got to be fun. Yeah, you've got to have a sense of humour. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. If you don't, then you know you potentially wrong profession. But really, I mean, it 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 is meeting people. It's getting to know people's stories. Sometimes people don't want to share their stories and that's also okay. Mm -hmm. It can be serious when, you know, you're dealing with, you know, 200 people every single day. That is a level of stress. But at the end of it, you've got great people around you, colleagues, guests. It's incredibly enjoyable. You have a blast. Well, congratulations, Jess, on everything you've achieved in your career because you've made a lot of 
diners happy. Well, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Jess, tell us about the opening hours of Black at Kaya in Blackheath. Give give us the rundown. So we are open seven days a week for breakfast from 7 until 10. At the moment, we're open on uh, through Saturday and Sunday lunches from 12 until 3, five nights a week, Wednesday through to Sunday. But we are we also do run an after-hours black menu, which is a reduced uh, menu on a Monday and a Tuesday evening from 5 until 8, just reduced hours, reduced menu, just for, a, you know, um, just for the offering, I guess, of the black experience. Jess Fisher from Black, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you, Ronnie. Pam Seaborn from Plate Up, thank you once again. Great to see you. Thank you, Ronnie. Louise Clifton is the Visitor Experience Team Leader of the Blue Mountains Branch for New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Service, also known as NPWS. NPWS is the government agency that manages the natural and cultural heritage of Blue Mountains National Park. Hi, Louise, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, we have a very big backyard here in the Blue Mountains. It's enormous. Why does our backyard need managing? And how does the NPWS do that? Uh, So National Parks and Wildlife Service manages uh, national parks and reserves across all of New South Wales. Um, I work for Blue Mountains Branch and we look after all of the World Heritage Area, Blue Mount- Greater Blue Mountains World Heritage Area, which is a million hectares. It goes down to Wombian Caves in the south and up to the north of Wollamai National Park in the Hunter yes. uh, at the north. But our backyard here in the Blue Mountains is Blue Mountains National Park. And how long have you been doing that job and how did you get to this place? Oh, okay. Um, I've been in this role for close to 10 years. My career started in not-for-profits. I worked for Greenpeace for a few years in the UK and that's why I moved to Australia to work for Greenpeace in Australia. And then I moved into New South Wales government working for sustainability programs on an energy efficiency campaign. And from there, I was lucky enough to move to Mount Tomar and I worked at Mount Tomar for a few years and then to national parks. So I've been around in uh, in, in the environment and tourism uh, for for quite a few years now. I've been hearing some uh, conversation, some gossip about a new walking trail in the Blue Mountains. Is this true and can you tell me about it? I think you might be talking about the Grand Clifftop Walk. So it is a new walking trail that we've been working on for around four years now. Um, It links up a number of existing tracks from Wentworth Falls to Scenic World, so Wentworth Falls to Katoomba. Wow. Um, It's uh, on national parks and Blue Mountain City Council managed trails and it will provide a a seamless walk when completed from Wentworth Falls to Katoomba on beautifully upgraded tracks. How long is that going to take you? How many kilometres are involved? So it's just under 20 kilometres. So uh, we think for most people it will be a two-day walk. We're positioning it as a two-day walk um, to encourage people to come up and stay overnight in the Blue Mountains and help support the economy here, the visitor economy. Um, Initially, uh, 
the first stages will um, be a little bit shorter, so from Wentworth Falls picnic area to the Fairmont in Lura, and then day two, Gordon Falls to Katoomba, and that will be a little bit shorter at around 14 k's total. So there's still some sections of track that will need to be completed and eventually added on. So Louise, when I'm coming up for the walk, and I'm going to be staying for four days because I'm only going to do five kilometres a day. Excellent. <laughs> Um, where is the best place to find accommodation in the Blue Mountains? Well, there's fantastic accommodation um, and all sorts of styles of accommodation. So I would recommend that you had a look at the Visit Blue Mountains website where you can find fantastic options for places to stay and places to eat. Okay, it's going to be a long walk. What are some of the scenic views we're going to see? What are some of the beautiful views? Um, It's a spectacular walk, actually. Um, It's easy when it's in your backyard and, and, you know, I'm a runner, so I do those, run on those trails regularly. It's, It's easy to take it a little bit for granted, but I was out yesterday running on the trails and I mean, it's us, there were lo- lots of people walking yesterday on on sections that will be part of the Grand Cliff Top Walk. You have fantastic views out to Mount Solitary. M- the majority of the walk you're on the escarpment, so you're looking out across to Mount Solitary. You have some lovely views of the Three Sisters, but from the other side, that you would normally see the Three Sisters from Echo Point. So if you're coming from Wentworth Falls, you're you're seeing them from a different perspective. Um, beautiful birds and wildlife, black cockatoos, lots of waterfalls and the beautiful tracks themselves, which, you know, um, the work that's gone into the the building of the tracks is really spectacular. So even just looking at the track and enjoying the the new work and the beautiful sandstone and then um, taking in some of the original heritage trails that have been there for a long time. I'm always astounded in the Blue Mountains how the the tracks on the um, the in your area, the NPWS, extraordinary amount of work goes into it. And how do these people do it? Because they're in such locations that are impossible to get to until the track's built. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's a labour of love, and the track teams certainly love their work. We have national parks track teams, and we also have uh, stone workers and contractors that come in um, that specialise in that kind of work. Obviously, it's a, a challenging operation. Very. Um, the materials and the sandstone have to be helicoptered in, um, and then all the work is done by hand. So. Yeah, painstaking work. Um, We had a beautiful video made actually um, around a year ago which shows some of the work happening and um, that's on show at the Heritage Centre in Blackheath. So for anyone who's really interested in, you know, the history of the walk and um, seeing some of that track work happening, I recommend going to watch that video. You say the the rocks have to be flown in. How, How do the workers get in there? Oh, the workers walk in. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not not too bad for this track to walk in, but certainly there's some other locations which are a bit more challenging, such as um, Perry's look down in, in Blackheath. Very steep, very steep. So, Louise, um, how can locals and visitors use or interact or engage with the trail, this new trail you've got? Um, so, for visitors, um, will be great for people to plan to come up and actually do the whole walk over two days or longer. 
They can, you know, you can take longer. The beauty of the walk is that you can uh, go in and out of the villages. You don't have to carry a backpack. Um, we don't have to carry an overnight backpack. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, food and water for your day. But to, yeah, come up, book some accommodation in Wentworth Falls, Laura or Katoomba or, or anywhere else where you can access the walk. Use the fantastic cafes and restaurants um, for your lunch and dinner. And just enjoy um, having a spectacular walk, which is world class, without having to carry a tent or even drive because you can access the walk by public transport. So it's pretty unique for a multi-day walk to have those sorts of options and it makes it a lot more accessible for more people. Um, if you're local, please encourage your friends and family to, to come up and do the walk and stay. But also if you're a local business owner or in the, in the tourism industry in the Blue Mountains, please get in touch with Blue Mountains Tourism and um, have a chat about how you can leverage your business. So promote your business, promote the walk and promote your business. So if you have accommodation, encourage people to come up and stay in your accommodation and do the walk. Or if you have a cafe or a restaurant, encourage people to come and eat at your premises when mm -hmm. they come up to do the walk. So we're really wanting to support the local community and the business community through this walk and hopefully encourage a lot of visitors to come up who will t stay longer and um, spend a bit of money in the um, local economy. I love what you said. You don't have to do all the 20 kilometres. You can break it down yep, to 10. Absolutely. I would probably stay longer and do yep. five kilometres a day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've suggested two days, but a few people have said, you know, well, well why not three days? Why not four days? Yeah. Um, you could certainly, you know, dip in and out of the walk. So that's the beauty of it and, and do it over a number of days. Louise, if I wanted a guided tour of the new Grand Walk, how would I find that? So um, if you have a look at the National Parks website, we'll be listing our National Parks guided tours. Uh, we are developing a guided tour for the Grand Clifftop Walk. There's also commercial tour operators um, who have Park Eco Pass licences and they will also be developing tours on the Grand Clifftop Walk. So head to the website and you'll be able to find out how to uh, book a guided tour. And when does the new Grand Clifftop Trail open? Well, we're um, planning for the majority of the trail to be, I mean, you can walk now from Wentworth Falls to Katoomba, but there's still works happening. Um, and there are occasionally some closures while those works are being finished. But we're planning for the website pages to be up in July, um, encouraging people to, to start coming from July and um, enjoying the walk. There's nothing better than walking in July because it's a bit cooler. Yeah. And you, there's not, not as much sweat and you, there's no heat to sort of slow you down. Yeah, and it's often a lot clearer. So, you know, often in, in winter in the Blue Mountains, there's, it's dry and so those fantastic views are, are even better and uh, less missed around sometimes. Well, Louise Clifton, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, and I hope people come up and enjoy the walk. They certainly will. You have been listening to Visit the Blue Mountains, a podcast produced by Blue Mountains Tourism. This episode was produced by Ellen Hill. Episode editor was David Post, recorded at KFM Media Studios. Music was composed by Rusty Pedal Music. The Welcome to Country was delivered by David King. And I'm Ronnie Swintek. And thanks for joining us. This podcast is made possible by $2.6 million from the Bushfire Local Economic Recovery Fund, co-funded by the Australian Government and New South Wales Government. 
with the Grant Blue Mountains Tourism as the leading tourism authority in the region, will administer and manage the Blue Mountains Visitor Economy Revitalisation Project, a two-year destination management program that will reinstate the Blue Mountains as a key tourist destination in New South Wales and Australia.